Let's go now to God's Word. Good morning. Our passage today is 2 Corinthians 8, 6 through 15. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, during our congregational meeting, we're going to hand out pledge cards. And uh, we're going to have the opportunity to indicate on those pledge cards what we are willing uh, to give to downtown church next year. And all God's people said, oh great. I've already been to three fundraisers this this fall. I, I have stacks of fundraising letters stacking up on my desk. In addition to the fact that Thanksgiving is this week, my grocery bill is off the charts, Christmas is just around the corner, it's coming up, my, my bills are stacking up, I need a new car, I need... and here is the church just getting in line to get their fair share. Getting in line to beg me for money. Paul, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, asked that the believers in Corinth send a gift to Jerusalem. And they wanted them to send this gift so that they could help the poor in the churches. The believers in Corinth said that they would do that. They they said, hey, we pledge to do that. Uh, We're going to do that, Paul. But as Paul is writing his second letter, a year or so later, they have yet to to come good, if you will, on their pledge. And so Paul reminds them, but as we saw last week when Chris dealt with the first part of um, this passage, um, Paul points to the the example of the Macedonian churches, uh, namely the church in... uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea, to say, hey, look at what they did. They gave out of their extreme poverty. I mean, their, their generosity just welled up, and out of their extreme poverty, they gave even beyond their means. So, Corinthian believers, do that. Now, this brings up a lot of questions, but one of which is, 
does Paul really have the authority to ask the church for money? I mean, what authority does Paul have in asking the church for money? And we can say, well, he was an apostle. He was a leader of the church. And therefore, he had church authority, spiritual authority over God's people to ask for money. But I think we've got to go beyond that and say, is this an idea of Paul or is this rooted in the gospel and something deeper? And if you look at the teaching of Christ, which Paul was certainly an expert on, what you see is that Jesus taught on money more than he taught on sex. More than he taught on almost any other topic. Eleven out of thirty-nine parables that Jesus told are about money. And we say, well, why in the world does the Bible talk so much about money? Why did Jesus talk so much about money? And why is Paul talking so much about money? Well, let me tell you why they're not doing it. They're not doing it because uh, they believe that, that, that we will be saved through our giving. In fact, it's just the opposite. Christians give not to be saved. That's what religious people do. But Christians give not to be saved, but Christians give because God has given to us. Christians give because of God's unrivaled generosity. Our God is a generous God. He is so generous that in this passage, Paul is actually proposing that the church should have its own economy. That the church should have an economy that what we do with our money, how we treat each other, and even how we treat those outside of the church with our money should be distinctly different than the economies of the world. You say, what's an economy? Here's a definition. An economy or economic system consists of the production, distribution, or trade and consumption of limited goods and services by different agents in a given geographical location. In other words, an economy is how we use our money, how we spend it, how we give it, who we spend it with, and who we give it to. Paul is saying we should generate a certain economy in the church. He's saying this in verses 13 through 15. Listen. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Why? Because he gave it away. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Why? Because those who gathered much shared with those who gathered little. So here's an economy. Here here is an economy inside the community of the people of God. And and let me just calm some nerves here. Um, Paul is not advocating for socialism, nor is he even addressing capitalism. In fact, when Paul gave this, the circumstance or context in which he was teaching this was that of dictatorship. There was one who reigned, and, and the king demanded, or the one in charge, demanded taxes on the people, and they had tax collectors who went out and collected taxes. And most of those tax collectors would go out and collect more than what the king told them to collect, and then pocket that, and that's how they made money, and that's why nobody loved tax collectors, and why it was so amazing when um, Jesus called Matthew the tax collector to be one of his disciples. 
you see, because he was a crook. <laughs> he was the guy you didn't want. He was the IRS. Sorry, IRS people. Uh, I'm not saying you're crooks. I'm saying that's how people often view you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and so Paul is not addressing economic, I mean, the world's economic system at all. He says, in spite of what the king is doing, in spite of what the government is doing, in spite of what's going on out there, you should be generous in here. We should have an economy of generosity. We should be generous with our money. You see, we should be in the church on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven is the most charitable and generous community there ever was and ever will be. This is so because God is the prime giver. Think about it. Why did God create this world? Did He have any need? No. In our songs this morning, we were, we were saying, You are the great I am. What that means is, He don't need us. He stands alone. He is the great I am because I am. I don't need anything. I don't depend on anybody. So why would God create this universe? Because He's a giver. And givers have to give. Think about Adam and Eve. They were a community of giving. They gave glory to God. They gave good to the other. So much so that they didn't even recognize that they didn't have anything. They were naked. And the first thing to happen, as soon as sin entered their hearts, what happened? Man, they started putting clothes on. They started thinking about me. And instead of being wrapped up in God and others, they expected God and others to be wrapped up in them. And so what does the gospel do? What is the hope of the gospel? It's not to make me rich, but it's to get me to the point where I realize riches is really found in freedom of not needing money. You see, that is what the gospel does. It has power to make me a generous person. And that's exactly where we're going. We are going to heaven, a place of utter generosity. It is Christmas morning on steroids all the time. We are giving and giving and giving and making sure that no one lacks. We are just giving because God says, hey, come and participate in the divine nature. See what it's like to give and be God. So how do we go from, oh, great, pledge cards. Can I leave? Would it be rude if I got up? To, oh, great, pledge cards. <laughs> oh, great, I can give because I believe in the work that God is doing here. Let's look at it. Three things. The radically generous don't need a command to give. Paul says, I don't command you. I don't command you. I'm putting pressure. I'm not commanding you. And the radically generous understand what he's saying. You know, I don't remember my mom being mad at me too many times, but I do one time, at least. And for some reason, this stood out to me this week. Um, I was a young teenager, probably 13 or so, and... Um, I desperately wanted a drum set. I wanted a drum set so bad that I kept hounding her and hounding her and hounding her. And I finally wore her down where she was going to give me the drum set. 
And, and yet, it was kind of like the Corinthians. She said, yes, I'm going to do it, but I'm like, when? Come on, let's, be, let's, let, you know, let's make good on this promise. And she was carrying a load of laundry, and I'm so thankful that she wasn't carrying wood or something else because I, I must have asked one too many times, and she just blew up and threw those clothes at me and marched off into the room and slammed the door. And, I, you know, you spoiled brat, you know, and that's exactly what I was. Because all I could think about is what I wanted. Give me, give me, give me. And that's how we often view God. (laughs) Oh, great. God wants our money. God is, you know, that's how we view the church when we we ask for money. That it's guilt. It's, It's, you know, they're commanding me to do it. It's something that I have to do out of duty. It's just, but let me tell you, God is not commanding us in this passage. Paul is not commanding us. He's giving us the opportunity. Because there is freedom in the gospel. It's one thing to have all the money in the world. But it's another thing to not need all the money in the world. You see, the person who needs all the money in the world, the person who spends his every waking moment scratching and clawing to be successful, scratching and clawing for money, trying to get it so his life can make some, some mark in the world and he can have, finally have life and rest is on a, 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 a trajectory toward death. The most stressed out people are not the poor but the wealthy. The ones who are on anxiety medicine are not the poor but the wealthy. And there's a reason for that. Jesus points this out in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, if you want to Google it and bring it up, now would be the time. Luke 12, 15. Listen to what Paul says. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, uh, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Why did Jesus warn them about covetousness and living to amass wealth? For one's life does not consist in material possessions or in money. Do you see it? God is calling us to life. He's not, he's trying to say, hey, you can spend your whole life going after it and you may even get it. You may get more than anybody else, but guess what? You will be at the height of death. Because what happens when you followed your dream and you've, you've amassed your wealth and then you realize it's not enough? It's death. And what I'm trying to do is to bring you into life. We said a couple of weeks ago, when I showed that graph that revealed that the poorest 5% of Americans still have more 
or have equal to the richest 5% of people in India. Now, I said that not to shame the poor among us, but I said that to make this point. If the poor, the, the lowest 5%, those who, who, who make the, the least amount of money are as wealthy if not wealthier than the richest in India, what does that make the rest of us? Do you see it? You see, we live for wealth because all we focus on is that top 1%. Oh yeah, there's the devil, that top 1%. Look at them up there, all high and mighty and lofty. Let's tax them. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think God's saying? Hey, what about the other 99%? You see, if you look at the Bible, he's not... He's communicating that it's those that have little that give are the ones that really understand the love of God. And friends, in America, for the overwhelming majority of us, we're not willing to say we're wealthy because we don't have much extra money to spend, but why is that? It's because we have leveraged ourselves to the extent of what we are making. We're not living under our means. Most of us are living beyond our means. And you see, God doesn't play that game. (laughs) He doesn't say, okay, you're right, you're not wealthy because you spend everything. No, that, that doesn't work. That math doesn't work. You're wealthy, you're just spending everything you have on you. But Jesus, in his gospel, has power to free us from this. What Paul is saying is we don't even need to bring the law in. Governments need the law. Governments need deadlines. Governments need to send letters and say, hey, knocking on your door. Here we're here. We're here to get your money. But he's saying those that understand the gospel in the economy of the church, no one has to lay a command on. We just need to lay the need down. And God's people, because they know the grace of Jesus Christ, give. That They orchestrate their lives to the point where they have money to give. The radically generous don't need a command, but secondly, the radically generous know the grace of our Lord Jesus. I love the story of the prodigal son. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Why did he, why did he go to the father? Because he believed that life was found in money and pleasure. What did he ask for? Give me my inheritance now. I'm not willing to wait. He wanted money. He said, hey, I want the money. Give me my money. And what's crazy is the father says, okay, here you go. And what does he do? He goes out and he squanders it in wild living with prostitutes and drinking and partying. And he parties his way through it. Only to find himself starving to death. And in that moment, his heart turns to his father in a different light. And I believe this is the point of conversion. He begins to think. He knows he doesn't deserve the father's love, but what does he do? He says, I'll go home and even the hired servants have more to eat than I do. So I'll be okay just being a little servant in God's house. And what happens? 
he comes back home and the text says that the father is waiting. He sees him from a distance and he starts running. The picture there is the father has lifted up his robe, which he just Jewish men didn't do. And he was running with his hairy legs, just sticking that, you know, running to his son. It's this hilarious picture, but it's this beautiful picture. And, and, and Jesus says, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him much. Charles Spurgeon preached a whole sermon just on that phrase, and kissed him much. It's beautiful. Go find it. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable sermon. He kissed him much. He put a new robe on him. He put new sandals on him. He put the signet ring on it. He commanded his servants to go kill the fattened calf. They have a party and they eat and they dance and they drink the night away. And the message is... You are not hired servants. You are my sons and daughters that I love. And friends, that's the power of the gospel. When we understand that, nobody has to command us to be generous. Do you get that this morning? That the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the power of the Spirit is more powerful than the law. It is superior to the law. Now, let me say this verse to you. God... Um, may, uh, Jesus became poor for you so that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you feel guilt right now? Oh, man. He became poor so I can become rich. I better write a check. No. <laughs> we even can take a passage that is so full of grace and love and make it the law. Oh, because Jesus did that, I better, I better go do something, man. I better. No. What he wants you to hear is, I have valued you as my son and daughter to such an extent that I counted it as joy to come and live for you and die for you. I counted it as joy to possess you because I want to spend an eternity with you. I don't want you to be punished in in, in the throes of hell for eternity. I will give my life for you because I love you. For God so loved the world. Not because he was sitting on his throne and said, Man, what kind of God would I look like if I just let them continue in their mess? No. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is not begging us for our money. God does not need our money. He's inviting us into the divine nature of generosity so that we can be the freest of all people and the joy-filled of all people. So we won't have to live in worry and, and anxiety depending on money as we should be depending on Him. He is calling us into freedom. So I ask you this morning, do you know the love of Jesus? Because that is what heals us. Whether you sell bonds for Raymond James or whether you are a prostitute on the street, what heals you is the love of Christ. This is why Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He is in prison when he prays this. Listen to what he prays. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why? That you, being rooted and grounded in love 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see Paul is writing from from prison and he's not giving financial advice. He's not saying, hey, I hid some a pot of gold under that tree over there by... Would y'all... No. He says, look, I'm in jail. I have nothing. I could die. But I'm the wealthiest man on the planet because I know the love of Christ. And therefore, I want you to know that love. Because what His love does for us is it takes us over and beyond the circumstances of our life. We don't need a life that works out because nobody's life works out. Jesus' life didn't work out from a human perspective. Do you see that? But Jesus was the richest, even though He became poor, He was the richest. Why? Because He knew the Father. And dear friends, if you understand that the love, if you know how much God loves you, then you don't need the love of money. You don't need the love of stuff. You don't need your identity to be propped up with the stuff money buys. All you need to be propped up with is Jesus. Do you know His grace this morning? Can you say with Paul... For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, do you live with a a, a bold assurance that that Paul had in Ephesians 1 when he said, but he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or how about Ephesians 2? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, Through faith. And this is not even your doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Dear friends, will you let the love of God flow over your heart this morning? That He loves a wretch like you. That He loves a sinner like you. When Rick asked us this morning to think about something specific this week. And then sing... Hallelujah. That's it. Think of what Christ has done for you. Think what you deserve and think what you've been given. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 12, 1. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Do you know what the joy was? Do you know what was on his mind when he was suffering on the cross? It was you and me. He was buying us. The only thing he didn't have on the cross was you and me. But he had us after the cross for the joy set before him. Can you you believe that God was joyful in giving himself for you? And that should be that which compels us. 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Oh dear friends, you matter to God. You are God's special treasure. He wants to commune with you. And that's why Paul says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you. Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you know the love of Jesus? Do you really know it this morning? And then lastly... The radically generous are gracious receivers. This is completely fascinating to me. What Paul is saying here is that God isn't really worried about our money, but he is concerned about creating a community of generosity. And listen to the heart of this generosity. For I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Why? So that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. This is how we typically give. We give typically thinking what a great person we are to give. And we give down. We give thinking, oh yeah, I mean, they're in need, I'm not in need, you know, they're in need, so I'm going to give my gift to them. And if we look through the scriptures, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6 a couple of weeks ago, and what we saw was that Paul warned us about... um, The combination of wealth and our hearts, our sinful hearts. And he said one of the primary ways that sin enters the heart of one who has wealth, which is the overwhelming majority of us in this room, is haughtiness. What is the cardinal sin of a wealthy person? To lose his wealth. To be in need. Wealthy people don't ask for money. Wealthy people can't ask for money. Wealthy people can't be in need. Why? Because of pride, because of self-sufficiency, because, well, I made my money, I've got my money. And But do you see what Paul is recommending here? He says, those of you who have an abundance at this present time... Share with those who don't, so that one day when you're in need, they can supply you with abundance, out of their abundance. Now, that's a different economy there. Now, wait a minute. Whoa! 
I've got my investments that I don't touch because I have to supply, I've got to support me for the rest of my life. But what Paul is saying is, don't build another barn, but give out of your abundance, even to the point of risking your wealth and sliding into being in need. You see, at the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is to live a life of faith. And therefore, as the community of God's people, we are to exhibit practical, real faith. And so, if I have two hamburgers and I give to someone who has no hamburgers, that means when we eat those two burgers, we may not know where the next burger is coming from. And Jesus said, yeah, that's how you live right there. Paul, that's what Paul is saying. Well, what about our 401ks and what... I don't know. I'm not giving... All I'm saying is this is clearly the principle that Paul is giving us. I think what he's saying is what we tell our children all the time. My two... Uh, Whitney and Jed's two boys are at my house, or at our house, Rachel and our house, and one of the boys has a toy, or, you know, he's playing with a train set, or, you know, he has a bowl of whatever, Cheetos, and the other one doesn't have any, what do you say? Share. Why do you say that? Because you don't, I mean, you don't want your children to be selfish, right? When do we outgrow that? At what point does it become okay to be selfish? Paul is saying, never. Never. You see, the Heavenly Father looks down and he says, you've got what they need, share it. What what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I love this. What this also says, what Paul is also clearly saying is, there is no shame to being poor. You're saying, my ego can't, can't survive asking someone else for money. God says there's no shame in being poor. Now, he, the Scriptures talk plenty about work. Here's a verse, Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Why, though? Doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So what Paul is saying is, The Christian community should all be working. I mean, just read the Proverbs, read the Scripture. We can go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Work, we have a working God. Work is at the very heart of who we are as human beings, as image bearers of God. But here's the reality. In a fallen world, in fallen systems, and fallen economies, we can all be working and some of us still live in poverty and some of us make a ton of money. And isn't that the case? And what Paul is saying is that you're not just cool when you pay your taxes and get clean with the government. But then you've got to worry about your body. Then you've got to look around the church. And you've got to start being creative about how you can lift others up financially. Folks, I don't like this. But that's what this is saying. <laughs> I wish it were saying something else, but it's not. And can you imagine a community of believers that took this seriously and were generous, joy-filled, cheerful givers, lifting each other up, 
Not degrading each other, but saying, brother, I'm willing to be, I'm willing to get down and lose everything for you because that's what Jesus did for me. Can you imagine what a testimony we would have to the world? And that's what Paul is saying. I want to end with these verses. Matthew 6. I just simply want to read them. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. The words of Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us a community of men and women, boys and girls, that live by faith. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be so captivated by your love that we would love our neighbor to the point of sacrificing for them. Father, I pray that we would be known as a people that don't share our beds with strangers, but we share our tables. We share our money. We share our clothes, our homes. Oh God, I pray that you would make us a radically generous people. Father, thank you that you gave us more than we could ever repay. There's no way... We could give all we have today. And if we were the richest man in the world, there's no way to even remotely compare to what you have given us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your gift of grace and mercy. Thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters. Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love today. Thank you that you love greedy sinners like us. Thank you that you patiently walk along with us. Oh, Father, we are dirtier with our money than a prostitute is with her body. But you walk along with us. You get in our mess and we praise you. But God, don't leave us as we are. Overcome us this morning with the beauty of the cross and the beauty of your love that we might let go of our wealth and we might share. Make us creative. Help us to think new thoughts. Oh, God, make us different. We lift this to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.